This is LBC from Global, leading Britain's conversation with Richard Spur. Yes, we have to move on. We have to move on. Things things are happening apace. Um, I'm Richard Spur, and uh, the Kremlin has said that Joe Biden's war criminal comment is unforgivable, accusing the West of behaving in a disgusting way. The irony. Insisting it's putting colossal energy into peace talks, Russia also accused Ukraine of dragging out the negotiations and said its conditions for ending the conflict are absolutely clear. This morning... I'm asking you, what on earth further does Vladimir Putin need to do before NATO gets involved with its troops? 0345 606 Uh Lots of calls from you this morning. I'm going to take some more of those in um, a little while. First, though, uh, I want to bring in Simon Marks, uh, because Russia has reacted in this um, supposedly... Um, 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 angry way to Joe Biden's comments that uh, that Putin is a war criminal, which he clearly is. And uh, uh, Simon is our Washington correspondent. He joins me now. Simon, just just comment on what's playing out here. Well, we're in a pretty curious position at the end of this particular week, Richard, because uh, Joe Biden appears really to have stumbled into calling Vladimir Putin a war criminal uh, on Wednesday afternoon in Washington, D.C. Normally, uh, the decision by the United States to accuse uh, a foreign leader of war crimes follows a deliberative process. I mean, there is a legal process that has to take place, uh, investigations of specific incidents, documentation of what, in this case, the Russians have been doing in Ukraine. Uh, and yet yesterday, President Biden, at the third attempt that reporters made uh, to get him to answer the question, uh, said, yes, I think, I think Vladimir Putin's a war criminal. Um, and the White House insisted that he had reached that conclusion in very large measure based on what he had seen on television. And we are in this kind of extraordinary position where I think we can all look at television and say, well, I mean, it certainly looks like a war crime. I mean, I'm no war crimes expert, but like uh, an average television viewer, it certainly, you would think, uh, amounts to war crimes when the Russian army is uh, bombing a theatre that's got a thousand civilians sheltering in its basement and a huge sign painted on the road outside saying children in order to communicate to Russian pilots that there are kids sheltering uh, in the building. Um, today here, the Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, uh, weighed in on this particular issue because he really had to. I mean, it was necessary for him to do so uh, during an appearance that he was making before reporters at the State Department. Yesterday, President Biden said that, in his opinion, war crimes have been committed in Ukraine. Personally, I agree. Now, the phrasing there is critical. Yesterday, President Biden said, in his opinion, war crimes have been committed in Ukraine. Personally, I agree. So we appear to be in a situation where the President of the United States and the Secretary of State backing him up are speaking there in their personal capacity, not necessarily expressing the viewpoint of the US government because efforts are still underway uh, within the government to establish and begin the investigation that will eventually determine whether indeed the United States formally accuses 
President Putin and other members of his inner circle uh, of war crimes. So listen to what the Secretary of State said when, again, after multiple attempts by reporters to pin him down, he finally addressed today the question of whether, having accused Vladimir Putin of war crimes... The United States still recognized him as the as the legitimate leader of Russia, still recognized him as the person with whom uh, ultimately uh, the United States needs to be negotiating and with whom the United States needs to be dealing in Russia, given that he is its elected leader. Again, Secretary of State Antony Blinken choosing his words very carefully today. I don't want to speculate uh, about the future, but there's going to have to be one way or another accountability at one for point, this uh, war of aggression. At one point he said he didn't want to get in front of the investigations that are underway into whether war crimes have been committed, but, you know, President Biden and the Secretary of State are now clearly in front of that investigation. I mean, it may well be that the outcome of that investigation is inevitable, but it's by no means resolved yet, and for the moment they appear to have been speaking in their personal capacity. Uh, to what extent, though, Simon, do you think that uh, Joe Biden is being so reticent uh, when it comes to um, Ukraine and uh, Vladimir Putin um, in order to, uh, to appease his electorate? I, you know, he doesn't want to be seen, as um, <laughs> his predecessors may have been, as somebody who, uh, you know, is likely to commit American lives in any sort of conflict. No, I think there's no question that that's absolutely accurate and President Biden will have seen polling several weeks ago now, just before the invasion began, that suggested that only 26% of the American people believed that the United States should play a major role in the crisis in Ukraine. So he's very aware of the fact that he ran for office as the man who was going to disentangle uh, America and its armed forces from conflicts in faraway places of which the American people knew uh, little. And in the case of Ukraine, many Americans can't find it on the map. On the other hand, those searing images that we've all witnessed over the last three weeks are also themselves affecting public opinion here. Uh, we heard from the Secretary of State today that the United States is now preparing to fast-track uh, a situation where Ukrainian refugees may be allowed to resettle in the United States. That debate here has not really begun yet. It certainly hasn't been anywhere near as voluble as the uh, discussions that have been taking place in Britain about resettlement uh, are concerned. Uh, there's no doubt that the public consciousness is increasingly enraged by the signs of civilian slaughter and the imagery that are being seen every day. And also no question that that uh, appearance before a joint session of Congress on Wednesday uh, by the Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky absolutely hardened attitudes about the extent to which the United States should be doing more to assist Ukraine. Take a listen to what Republican Congressman John Cornyn of Texas had to say in the aftermath of that speech by Volodymyr Zelensky where he demanded a no-fly zone and fighter jets, two things that currently the Biden administration doesn't want to give him. Where does the Biden administration get off saying, well, we'll give you this but not that, when people are trying to defend their very lives and their national sovereignty? We should not dictate from Washington, D.C. what sort of weapons they can get access to. Provide them everything they need in order to defend themselves and their country and defeat Vladimir Putin. And we are seeing signs of Republicans and Democrats coming together 
over the next few days, I think, to pressure the White House, particularly on this issue of fighter jets. Remember that last week the White House uh, sort of pulled the rug out from underneath the Polish government after it said it was ready uh, to send MiG uh, fighter jets to Ukraine. The United States essentially blocked that by saying they would play no role in facilitating the transfer of those fighter jets. But it's interesting to hear a Republican like John Cornyn articulating those viewpoints because the Republican Party itself has been really split asunder by this crisis. I mean, you've got the Putin wing of the Republican Party uh, led by Donald Trump, by Tucker Carlson on Fox News, by uh, a whole host of other uh, figures, including Congressman Madison Cawthorn, who last week described President Volodymyr Zelensky as a thug. And then you've got moderate Republicans who are looking at the situation and saying, we're the party of Ronald Reagan, we stood up to the Soviet Union, we won the Cold War, how on earth can we be in a position where we're trying to appease Vladimir Putin? And you've got people in the middle within the Republican Party who are saying, the best thing we can do is simply target Joe Biden and accuse him of being weak because public opinion about Putin is going to swing so much against uh, the Donald Trumps of this world who have described Vladimir Putin as savvy and a genius <laughs> that the Republican Party runs the risk of being caught very much uh, on the wrong side of history here. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's astonishing, really, isn't it? When you, when you when you review those uh, th- those sort of comments, I mean, just just one thing that strikes me, uh, and I think I mentioned uh, yesterday on LBC, uh, and Johnson was pretty pretty swift to um, to uh, condemn uh, Putin as a war criminal, but that didn't <laughs> inspire the sort of disgusted reaction um, as when Joe Biden did so. So you know, clearly the the U.S. president's um, words carry much more import with Putin. Uh, yeah, I think that's right. I mean, there's no question that uh, uh, the, the Kremlin is going to be more concerned about what they hear from the United States than about what they hear from any indi- any single individual European government. I mean, Joe Biden himself is in a curious position, though, because he is, uh, on the one hand, you know, trying to avoid under any circumstances and at all costs being dragged into a broader conflict that sees the United States sucked into war with Russia that he has already predicted would be World War Three. On the other hand, there are some prominent figures within his own party, including uh, Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House of Representatives, who this week was expressing great angst over the fact that the United States did nothing to attack that stalled Russian military convoy while it was still stalled, suffering from, uh, we understand, flat Chinese tyres on its tanks and uh, armoured personnel carriers uh, before those tyres were replaced and it was then able to continue its moves towards Kiev. Um, and, 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 you know, the broader question is, where is the red line that would lead to what Joe Biden has characterised as World War Three? If you think that fighter jets are a problem, you don't want to provide the Ukrainians with fighter jets that their pilots can use to drop bombs on Russian tanks because you think that that will be seen as, you know, the Americans entering the war or NATO entering the war by Vladimir Putin. Why do you think it's okay, as the president announced yesterday, to send drones? 
to the Ukrainians that are absolutely capable of dropping bombs on Russian tanks. I mean, this is a really uh, opaque line and the slope is extremely slippery, which is why this remains potentially such a danger in terms of becoming a broader conflict. And, and finally, Simon, just talk about the, uh, the meeting with uh, Biden and Xi Jinping. Well, this is a big, uh, a big moment. It's coming up in a few hours' time. President Biden will be holding another virtual conversation uh, with President Xi Jinping. And it's critical because this comes at the end of a week in which the United States claims that Russia has asked the Chinese to provide uh, military equipment to Russia to compensate uh, for some of the battlefield losses that it's already experienced in Ukraine. The Chinese insist that's misinformation. They've absolutely denied American claims that they've agreed to replenish some of Russia's uh, military equipment. So, uh, this is an effort by President Biden to get a read on where President Xi stands in all of this. There was a meeting earlier this week in Rome between National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan and uh, top Chinese uh, foreign policy official Yang Jichu. Uh, it uh, did not succeed in bridging the gap. And so I think it's been decided to kick this up to a, a leader level conversation. Uh, with Joe Biden on the one hand uh, wanting to make it absolutely clear to President Xi that if he provides military assistance to Ukraine, he will start to be sanctioned in much the same way as the Russian economy has been sanctioned. But on the other hand, you know, they've got a much broader relationship they need to talk about, including things like the Trump-era tariffs on Chinese exports to the United States. Taiwan, heaven help us all, if that were to intensify as an issue. North Korea, which is already intensifying as an issue, as they continue to uh, test uh, what the United States believes uh, are, are ICBMs. So lots on the agenda, but critical to President Biden is getting a read on where the Chinese stand in all of this and how closely or far they intend to remain in terms of their relationship with Russia over Ukraine. Simon, it's always good to get your, uh, your take on things. Simon Marks, LBC's Washington correspondent. Uh, text here from Tomash in uh, Lee. How is anybody surprised that Russia is committing war crimes? They were always capable of doing that. Look at the Katyn massacre in 1940 and the killing of over 15,000 Polish officers and intelligence and even blaming it on Germany. Russians have been brainwashed for centuries. They never had to fight for freedom. They were always the aggressors. Russia, says Tomash, is a state of mind. When you call 0345 6060 I'm going to take some more calls in a few moments' time. I'm Richard Spur. This is LBC at 17 past three.